Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! In this Fast, Feast, and Faith series. Um, now, the reason we wanted to do this, the reason I, I, I planned this series is because we are going to be doing the Seder coming up. And so we wanted to be able to give some context for that as far as the Old Testament goes, the connection with Jesus, and then what that means for us today. Because what I realized is that for most of us with the Old Testament, it can feel really hard sometimes to make the connection between that and Jesus and what's happening, the God of the Old Testament, the Jesus of the New Testament. And it can be a little like uh, that Where's Waldo game where you're not really sure where Waldo is and you just end up getting frustrated trying to find him and then you just skip to the next page and you can't find him there either. But then you get really excited when you find Waldo eventually though, right? And I know talking to people in my own experience, it can kind of be like that. Like, where's Jesus in this? Right? How does this connect uh, to the Savior? How do these two stories, these two Testaments connect? But I also very much believe that there's a lot to learn in the Old Testament about Jesus. And I believe there's a lot to learn about God's plan for humanity and for the, the end times and everything all wrapped up in the very beginning. Because if you go back all the way even to Genesis 3, that's where you hear, hear that first mention of Jesus, right? The one that would crush the head of Satan. And so that idea that there is this redeemer that's coming was stated right after the fall, right? Right in the beginning where the problem first happened, you see this idea of Jesus being introduced and then he's woven all through the story as it goes forward. So there's some things to think about, uh, to consider with Jesus, with God in these Old Testament scenarios, because I, I do want us to understand uh, first and foremost with, with these things, the feast, the fast, uh, of the Old Testament, there is relationship always first and foremost uh, presented when they're supposed to do these things. God is so relational, he does want to be in relationship with his people. And so when he says, I want you to have a feast, or I want you to have a fast, it's the, the point of it is, is meant to either restore sometimes relationship, it's meant to refocus relationship sometimes in the Old Testament. But God is giving them a very hands-on, very very physical, visceral way of remembering this relationship that should be at the forefront of their minds. And I think there's something for us as Christians to remember about that because God says, I, I want you. You know, I want relationship with you. And there's all these hands-on things I've given my people to remember how important that that is. And I think it's good for us to gather and do things regularly to have these rhythms in our life to remember the relationship that God desires because he wanted them to know they had a blessed relationship and I wonder, do we remember that regularly enough? And he wanted them never to forget what he had done for them. And again, I wonder, do we do that? Do we take time to have regular rhythms that help us with that? And then the next category that you see in the Old Testament woven in this is that there's this identity of the Jewish people. Because think about Jews. I mean, what other culture has suffered as much as they have, right? But they have these rhythms that are in their life that help them remember who they are. And sadly, it's been turned into just empty ceremony. And it's just like, you know, there are a lot of secular, unbelieving Jews that still do the fasts and they still do the feasts and they still do these holidays because it's part of who they are. And so that is a big point of these feasts and fasts. 
but you have to remember why you're doing it. Again, that takes you back to thing number one is relationships. And I don't know about you, but as I studied these and looked at the feasts and the fasts, this is not an area that I was really, really strong on. Like with a lot of passages of scripture, I can say, okay, I've been here. I've read this. I kind of know what connections are. I, I understand what God's saying. But this was a stretch for me to put this series together. Uh, I, it's one of the series I've had to study the most for. Uh, it's like taken me weeks just to get through the first couple Sundays and get through the outline. I usually try to send Sarah my outline of my sermon several weeks ahead of time, but she got it like a few days ahead of time because I was just trying to get this stuff in my own head because it is a little confusing because there's the component of what was originally intended and then like what like what is it now today and you know for jews and what is it now today for us as christians but again all these things need to be taken back to the first step of relationship what god was trying to get his people to understand another thing i thought was really neat too was the idea of uh, faithfulness so god's faithfulness in the past and him wanting these people to remember that right and then that also pointing to the future like, and I will be faithful in the future as well. And again, does that, how does that apply to us? You know, do you ever take time to look at God's faithfulness in your own past? Like to really think about God's faithfulness in your own past as you look to your own future or you look to the future of our nation. Everybody's like, oh, it's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. It's like, has God been faithful? And will he be faithful? Right. There's these ideas that he baked into like the, the day-to-day rhythms, the yearly annual calendar rhythms, so that they would not forget these major stories from their own past. And it was part of their identity. And so the bridge for us then is uh, I, I want us to be able to understand what these things are, why they matter for our lives today, what God was trying to say and show through these, these really lived-out stories and these feasts and these fasts. So that we can understand, hopefully, my my goal is that, yes, we'll understand like the Jewish connection, the Jewish roots of our faith. Because Jesus was very much a Jew, talking to Jews all the time. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, was written to Jews with a lot of Jewishness tied up into it. The book of Hebrews, of course, is written to Christians that are sliding back into Judaism to save them. And so there's a lot of Jewishness in the New Testament and a lot of Jewish way of thinking in the New Testament. Uh, even in the end, in Revelation, there's still a lot of Jewishness. Romans 9, 10, and 11, talking to the Jews and what would come of the Jews. So it's very much a part of our faith, but one that I believe most of us have kind of moved away from. And I think it's really, really healthy, though, to understand our faith, uh, to understand the, the Old Testament and like what was going on there and, and how it pointed to Jesus. So my question for you this series is uh, one of... Um, application, I guess. So, how can the ancient festivals of the Old Testament inform our modern faith today? Each week, I want to be asking this question with the, the festivals that we'll go through or the fasts that we're going to go through and cover. And then, like I said, we're, we're going to be doing this in such a way that we land on Passover around when Passover is going to be happening. We'll be doing that uh, message when we do the Passover Seder. So on April 2nd, that's where we'll land so that we'll talk about it that morning and then we'll come together and we'll actually do it that evening. So that's kind of how this thing is, is planned out together. Uh, but there are some things to consider, though, as we get into this, because not many of us are Jewish. Uh, I, would gar- I would almost guarantee that all of us are what? What's it called? Right, Gentiles. So if you're a Gentile, it means you're not a Jew. It means you've been grafted in, as Paul said in Romans 10 and 11. So we've been grafted into this family of God. And so we need to think Jewish a little bit. And this is hard because, again, we're not Jewish and we didn't live 2,000 years ago. 
So the first thing, I just want to kind of step us through some ways that they looked at the world and they looked at time and they looked at things a lot differently. So first of all, we have uh, days. So when does a Jewish day begin? Yes, it begins in the evening. Why does the Jewish day begin at sundown? Genesis 1. Then there was evening, and then there was morning, day 1. Then it was evening, then it was morning, day 2. So they reckon their time based on Genesis 1, and their days begin in the evening. That's why when we do a fast here at Quaybog Church, we start it after dinner, uh, and then we go until the next evening because that's a Jewish day. It's also why the, the timing of Jesus in the tomb can seem kind of weird because you have a saying like, I'm just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, I'm going to be in the ground for three days and, or three nights and three days. Well, Friday and Saturday night, that doesn't sound like three days to me, Jesus. But if you're looking at a Jewish time frame, that can include the day before because technically it was that Friday was part of that. Or you can look at the day after because it would have been part of that as well. And there's also a Jewish idiom, three nights and three days is just kind of like a, that's a general phrase. And you can kind of swing time. So the way they reckon days, the way they reckon time was just different. So a lot of these feasts and fasts that we talk about, you just want to remember they're, they're going to be starting these things in the evening. They're kicking these things off in the evening and doing them all the next day. And then you have uh, the Jewish calendar. So how does the Jewish calendar look different than ours? So this is what I think can be very, very confusing. So the Jewish calendar, the year, is uh, way different because the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar. It operates off the cycles of the moon, and it's got 354 days over those months, whereas the calendar we use, the Gregorian solar calendar, has 365 days over 12 months. So if they did not adjust this somehow, their calendar would be completely off from our calendar, and their festivals would, instead of being fall festivals, they would start being in the winter and spring and summer, and they would just rotate all around everybody else's calendar. So in order to keep this somewhat similar, they have to do something very confusing. They have to add a 13th month. Every seven out of every 19 years, an extra month is added, which creates this kind of awkward weirdness on, with our calendar, right? But they have to do that in order to keep things somewhat similar. But it is why Easter always moves around every year. Because I always get asked, why does Easter move so much? Because it can be anywhere from March 22nd to April 25th. Like, why can't they just pick a Sunday and have it be that day? Well, because Easter is reckoned, how they figure that out is they have, all right, when's Passover? And Passover is a fixed date or it moves? Right, it moves a little bit on the calendar. So when's Passover? Well, that's going to be a moving target. When is the first full moon, the, the Paschal, Paschal full moon? When is that first full moon after Passover? All right, now that we know those two things, Easter is going to be the next Sunday. So since Passover is going to be shifting a little bit because of this lunar and solar uh, calendar event, Easter is going to do that every year as well. So that's why Easter is never on the same Sunday. But it affects even that, that component of our lives. Now, to the feasts and the fasts themselves. So there are the seven major biblical feasts that we'll cover during this series over the next couple months. And their calendar, again, their calendar year is tied very much to agriculture. It's tied very much to nature and the seasons uh, because what God was having them do was regularly remembering their relationship with him and giving thanks because of what was being given to them. Um, but their calendar year uh, is what everything was based off of. It's not like ours. Our holidays are just things that they come as, you know, they come. And it's like, oh, yeah, so we got Memorial Day weekend coming up, and we got whatever coming up. And it's like their lives were based around this calendar. Um, and so up first, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be starting the fall festivals. So we have the Shabbat, which happens every single week, or the Sabbath happens every single week on Saturday. 
So the Shabbat is a day of rest, right? It's a, it's a weekly rhythm. Again, these rhythms that were really important to God. Back then, before he gave this, like, there was no rest. You just worked all the time, right, until you died. But he said, no, I want you to rest. I want you to spend time with me. And because we now understand Jewish timing, Shabbat begins when? Friday night, right? Friday night into Saturday, right? And so that's their, their way they're doing that. Now, today is going to be, uh, next is Rosh Hashanah. Now, we'll look at this a little bit more today. Rosh Hashanah is a name that is newer and isn't actually in the Bible, but we still call it Rosh Hashanah. So we'll get into a little bit of that more, but it happens in the month of Tishri, which is in roughly September. And this kicks off a very festive time of year because 10 days later, you've got Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which we'll talk about next Sunday. So also there in September. And then immediately following that, you have a week-long celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, right? And this, again, here is just a reminder of that time in the desert, that time of traveling. And so uh, it's a time, again, of Thanksgiving. It's a feast. And God, this, this three-month time here, or this one-month time with these three festivals, is meant to do a lot in the nation of Israel as far as their remembrance that they were called to have regularly about their relationship with God and their story. Because you look at the New Testament and they're constantly retelling the story of Exodus. They're constantly retelling the story of Israel. And so God has these, again, these regular rhythms to help people remember. And then next, after that, in December, you have Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not a biblical holiday. It does not even happen in the Bible. The event that they're celebrating uh, was about 160 years before Jesus when the Jews took back the temple and they reinstated temple worship. And so there's actually, it's a festival of lights because they're celebrating a miracle that was said to have happened, but it's not in the Bible. It's taking place between the two Testaments, so to speak, between the Old and New Testaments. But it's celebrating uh, reinstating temple worship after it had been desecrated. But it's a very big holiday for them and it's a very long celebration they get to have. After that, um, we have Purim, which is Adar, and March 6th this year is when they celebrated this. And this is a celebration of, again, it's a biblical event, but not a biblical holiday, celebrating something that happened in the book of Esther, right? The Jews being saved um, in that book and in that story. But that actually just happened a few days ago that they celebrated that. And then now we're coming around to where we'll be in a few weeks, uh, Passover, Pesach, when you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that happens after that. So Passover week, everybody calls it. It's actually Passover day, and then the week of celebration and feast of unleavened bread, and that's in the month of Nisan, or for us, April-ish, um, right? This year, it'll obviously be in April. So we'll be there in a few weeks. And then uh, another big one is Yam Habikurim, the feast of first fruits, and that one has a lot of connection, uh, just like the previous one to Jesus. And so that's the Sunday after Passover. So we'll, we'll hit that uh, coming up in the future as well. And then we have uh, Shavuot, so or Shavuot, uh, the Pentecost. This one is probably, the, I think, the most misunderstood one in the Bible because most of us, when we hear Pentecost, we think Acts chapter 2, coming the Holy Spirit. But this is actually uh, a, a very interesting holiday and what it's supposed to mean. And so we'll, we'll look at all those uh, when they come in the coming weeks. But I just want to give you a, kind of a highlight of all the major feasts and, uh, and what they mean. Because to think Jewish, to think Jewish holidays, is to think what God is having them do in a very physical way to remember their relationship with God. And each holiday has a, a different meaning and a different focus. And then the high holidays uh, that we'll look at, of all these, the big ones for them, next, are, oh, so I didn't put it on there. Okay, so you have Rosh Hashanah, 
which is probably number two, um, and it goes right into Yom Kippur, which is like the highest holy day for them, and then Passover is probably number three. Uh, I would think number three or number one would be Passover. I mean, that's a big one, right? But for them, uh, and you'll see why this morning, why Rosh Hashanah, kind of number two, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of like getting right with God is number one. And then they swing around into the spring and then they finally have that time of um, Passover. So I realize that's a lot. And I realize it can be a confusing like drinking from the fire hose kind of thing. And it's like, all right, this could be a really dry series that you can completely lose me on. Uh, and trust me, I've been studying it for weeks, so I get that. Um, but here's what we're going to do each week. We're going to answer five questions uh, with each of these festivals to try to really bring this home and, like, and make it clear as we can. Uh, the first question up that we have is where do we find it? So in Scripture, where is it? Then we're going to try to just remember, okay, what time of the year was it? Because that's important for them. That's important for the calendar. Then we're going to answer two close questions. What was it? And then why did they celebrate it? Because those two don't always match up, as you're going to see today. What was it intended to be? And then maybe what did it turn into? And then really, why did they think that they were celebrating it? And then the last two most important ones, I think, is how does it connect to Jesus? And then ultimately, why does it matter to you sitting here in 2023 at Quaybog Church in Brookfield, Massachusetts? Right? Like, why? Um, because I, th I, th I think there's something still in this for us in these festivals. So we're going to try to do all that together. All right? So that's where we're headed. That's what we're doing. Now, so the first one, as you can see the title here on this next slide. So Rosh Hashanah, it actually means head of the year. That is nowhere in the Bible. There's one reference in like Ezekiel uh, that doesn't even really refer to this, but that phrase never really happens. It's actually in the Bible is Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. So where do we find this and pretty much every other feast that is prescribed for the nation of Israel? Well, you're going to go to the law, and you're going to be in Leviticus 23 specifically. So Leviticus is not a book very often I'm going to land in on a Sunday morning um, just because. But Leviticus 23 and then Numbers 29 is where you're going to see these feasts and then what you're supposed to do with them. So in this passage, this is what God says to the nation of Israel as he's setting them up. Uh, to go and take the land, right? So he says to Moses, verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites in the seventh month, so that's Tishri, that's September-ish, on the first day of that month, you are to have, and, and this is really important for the rest of the morning, you are to have a day of complete rest, one, commemoration, two, so remembrance, and trumpet blasts, so a sacred assembly, number three. You must not do any daily work, you need to rest, but you must present a food offering to the Lord. So you have trumpet blast as being like a core part of this. And then in Numbers 29, it says it again. It says it is a day of trumpet blasts. And so what is a trumpet blast in the Old Testament? Like what's going on with a trumpet blast? Because this is a smaller version uh, of what they would have used. They would have, uh, the shofar that they would have used would have been really long, a ram's horn, because even this has to be kosher, of course. And you would have, there's a specific tone that you need to bleat with, you know, with these things. And there's a specific way to do it. Now, I learned about a quarter of the time of how to blow this thing. I was able to do it yesterday, but only about a quarter of the time. So I'm not going to blow it because you end up, you look stupid if you don't do it right. Uh, you look like you're just trying to blow raspberries, and it just is awful. So I'm not confident enough to blow this thing, but Mitch will do this. He will blow this for us, and he sounds, not this one, but he sounds really good when he does it because 
you know, Jewish. And he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he is going to show you how this thing sounds, um, but I can only get it about a quarter of the time. But they wanted to do this in the Old Testament because it meant a couple things. It meant, one, obviously, you need to pay attention. There's something that's coming up that you need to pay attention to. So it's either a holy day, it's either some kind of warning, it's either a, it's a call to do something, or most importantly, it's a call to war, right? So you need to prepare your mind, you need to prepare your heart for something. So that's really important to think about with a trumpet blast and then a whole feast that God says, this is going to be a day of trumpet blasts. So this is the beginning of something. This is a pay attention to something. This is a get your heart ready for something. And so because I can't do this, I wanted you to hear what is the, the Rosh Hashanah or the day of trumpets um, blast sound like. It's a little unnerving. It's a little irritating for me personally. It's like a little ASMR-ish to me. It's like uh, when I hear it. And at the end, you're going to notice that he does a blast that lasts a long time because that's specifically prescribed. You're going to do all these tones, and then it's going to last in this blast at the end. So I've got a recording here of somebody that actually knows how to do this. So let's hear that. sounding of the trumpet, and they would just do that all day long. Doug was not a fan of that. He was like, I will fight you right now if you don't stop doing that. <laughs> so that's what they would hear. And again, it's a call to something. It's a heads up. All right. So secondly, our second question, we kind of already established it. This will kind of come in each week a little bit differently because it'll remind us because we're not going to do the feast every week. Um, but when was it? So it would have been, again, in September. And it would have been uh, a day that was going to usher in a really festive time of year, the most festive time, because you've got these three major holidays in one month. So you're going to have uh, Rosh Hashanah, and you're going to have 10 days later Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which we'll do next Sunday. And then you're going to have after that a week-long festival of booths. And so this is a very, very festive time of year and a time where God's calling the people in the Fall Harvest Festival to do a lot and to remember a lot. So then after that, what exactly was it? So to go back to our scripture and just to point a few things out, remember first, relational nature of God. He's having them do these feasts because he wants to, them to remember their unique relationship to him. And so each one has a kind of a different component of that. This one specifically, just to remind us, the first one, it's a day of rest, right? No occupational work. So a day of rest. Number two was that it was a sacred assembly in remembrance of the Lord. Don't forget who you belong to. Number three was that he wanted his people to come together to offer up food, offer up grain, offer up these different kinds of things so that they can show gratitude. So again, another big component of this was don't put all your faith in your stuff. 
need to remember that I'm, because this is Leviticus, so this is before they go into the land. He's like, I just don't want you to forget where these blessings are come from. So you're going to have these regular rhythms to point you back to who is providing this. And again, that's a lot like the series that we just got done and with our, in our finance series. Like, don't forget where the gifts come from. And so God had these very hands-on ways where they were going to have to do things. They were going to have to travel. They were going to have to spend a little bit of money. They were going to have to do this gratitude, right? They couldn't just give lip service. It was something that he wanted them to actually, like, be a part of. And so, again, you have the rest, you have the thanksgiving, and then you also have, and this is where things get a little sideways, you also have Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement, which is like every, the nation of Israel coming together to basically get right with God. And so because of its proximity, it's only 10 days away from this major holiday, there was this sense that, like, as the trumpets blast, you need to get ready for something, right? You need to prepare your heart. And so God was, in a way, saying, you're going to do these things. But yeah, Yom Kippur is coming up pretty close. So you need to get your heart ready. But where things get sideways is what people do with time. What religion, done wrong, does with 10 days. And that's what we're going to peek out a little bit here. So the, first, the, the next question, why did they celebrate it? So remember, rest, remembrance, gratitude. God is about relationship. But what did... What did Jewish history and rabbinical tradition do to this holiday? Well, like I said, at first, it wasn't called Rosh Hashanah. It was just the Day of Trumpets, right? Yom Teruah is what it was called. So eventually what happens to this holiday is that after 70 AD, so not long after Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, the temple is destroyed. Temple worship is now gone, right? So now what are we going to do? Now things begin to change drastically, and they already had been because of the intertestamental period. And so now they start adding things to these holidays, right? Because now since they can't do sacrifice anymore, we got to start adding things to what God said to make it better because that's what any good religion does, right? We just add to what God has said to make it better. And so they started to see Yom Kippur, or I'm um, sorry, Rosh Hashanah, as a day that commemorates the birthday of the earth, right? So eventually rabbis said, you know what also happened on Rosh Hashanah is that's the day that God created the earth. And they also said, well, and we also need to remember the, that Moses was given the law on that day. So we're also going to make that a part of this tradition. And then they begin to kind of stack things on there and say, okay, well, if we're supposed to get ready for Yom Kippur, well, man, we better really take advantage of these 10 days. They, these are very, very important days. And so what do you do during these days? What happened to this holiday that was supposed to be about, be about rest and remembrance and gratitude and, yes, preparing, you know, the blast of the trumpets. They said, all right, well, here's what we need to do. We've got 10 days to manipulate God as much as we can so that we can get him to reverse any bad decisions that he might make. Because on Yom Kippur, what ends up happening in the Jewish system is that God is going to decide your fate for the next year. And so that's why you have this Jewish New Year now. So Rosh Hashanah is now the Jewish New Year, even though it's in September-ish, because that's when God created the earth. And it's when he, for everybody, he's going to decide for the next year, are you in the book of life or are you, in fact, in the book of death for the next year? So, man, you've got to get yourself right that next, like those 10 days. You've got to be doing lots of good deeds. You've got to be doing lots of workspace stuff, so much so that they would eventually start going to the graves of the dead so that they would ask the dead to pray for them so that they could try to convince God to put them into the book of life so that their next year would be blessed and happy. And so, again, where did it start and where did it kind of devolve into? And then the tradition became uh, popular to, to read certain things. So out of the Old Testament, they would read stories like the birth and like near sacrifice of Isaac, 
they would read about the prophet Samuel's birth, and then ultimately they would read about this they, uh, Jeremiah's vision of deliverance from the exile, right, as their hopes for deliverance from Rome uh, built and built and built and built and built. And then I found this quote from a Jewish theologian. He said, The willingness of Abraham to sacrifice his beloved son is a manifestation of his complete trust in the divine will. So we read that stuff because it points to the goodness of God. And it's like, that's good. But then this next part was a little off. And we pray that God will consider the merit of our ancestor in deciding to inscribe us in the book of life for the coming year. So this, this is a very human thing to do. And so I want to pause. This is not being judgmental of Jewish people in any way, shape, or form. This is what people do, right? We want to manipulate God so that really we can do what we want. And then when this time of year comes, and now it's time to manipulate God and try to get on his good side like he's Santa Claus, right? And so that's what we do with God. And this is just a very human thing. So I just want to press in. I show these things to press in and say, we need to guard our hearts because we'll absolutely try to do the same thing to God, which is we'll bargain, we'll manipulate, we'll do what we can. But their, their idea, though, with God was very off. They didn't understand their relationship to God. They're standing with God. And clearly they didn't understand the nature of what God was trying to do in this holiday. And this holy day is really what it is. And so that's kind of where it got to. That's why they were celebrating as it went on. But that's not what God intended. And so how did that connect? If, if God had an intent and he had a purpose in this holiday, what exactly was it? What was he trying to get at and what was he pointing to? What I think is interesting in the Bible, again, you have this. So think about if you've ever been to the beach or if you've ever been to a lake, like when a boat drove by or whatever, and you have these, the waters just lapping in, right? Or if you've ever been on a river, rivers always fascinated I me. Mean, when I worked on the river, I used to just go and sit and it just always amazed me. Like there's just this never ending stream of water, you know, and it's just like it's just on and on and on and on and on. But you see the waves in the ocean, they just crash, they just crash, they just crash. This idea of the trumpet blast is kind of like that in the Old Testament. Like, this idea just keeps crashing and crashing and crashing. It starts there in Leviticus 23, and you see God continuing to use this. And then eventually what he starts to do through the prophets is he says, not only is, is this trumpet blast something to prepare your heart, but there is also something, a great day of judgment, the day of the Lord that begins to be talked about a lot. And this day is going to be ushered in by a trumpet blast. And so you see this idea, keep crashing, keep crashing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shows up and he claims this trumpet blast for himself. This thing that has been preparing the nation of Israel for this great day of judgment or this great day of the Lord, this great day of reckoning. And Jesus shows up and he says, I want you to know that's been talking about me. All this trumpet talk, all this looking to the future, all this prepare your heart and your mind, like all this stuff. And here's how Jesus jumps into that scene, because Christians believe uh, largely that this day of trumpets is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is about to say. What, is he about, what he's about to claim is yet to come in the future. So in Matthew 24, this is a, a, another really important sermon that Jesus gives. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it's about the end times. So it's very interesting as well. What's, what's it going to be like at the end? What's going to be happening at the end? And so Jesus talks about this specific thing with the trumpet blast, right? Get ready. Be ready. Get your heart and your mind ready. So then, Jesus says, the, the sign of the Son of Man, who he is claiming a title there, we'll get to that in a second, the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, because this is going to be a pretty intense day, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is claiming an Old Testament prophecy here. 
and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when his disciples are hearing this, this is both overwhelming and very encouraging because they're saying, okay, I understand what Jesus is saying. Like Jesus is quoting Daniel 7, and he's saying, I am the one that Daniel 7 is talking about. Not only am I that one, but I'm connecting myself to the great blast of trumpets, which is the great day of the Lord, this like feared day in the Old Testament of reckoning. And so Jesus is taking all this stuff and saying, boys, this is me. This is, this is who I am. I'm about to go be crucified. But before I do, I want you to know I'm Daniel 7, which is this next passage. So here, here we are, Daniel 7, hundreds of years before Jesus. And he's in this, he has this vision, the, the prophet Daniel does. Now, Daniel lived at a time when they were in exile. And Daniel's a very interesting book because it talks about a lot of end, end time stuff. He, uh, he was friends with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The guys that went into the fire. And so there's a lot happening as they're in exile in Babylon. But Daniel is seeing a lot of what's going to come in the future. And so he says, I continued watching in the night visions. And suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. Just like Jesus just got done quoting. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So God has a plan that he's revealing, even in these Old Testament phrases and in these Old Testament ideas, and particularly these Old Testament festivals. This is pointing to something greater in the future. And so the New Testament then is going to pick up on this as God reveals more and more and more as the New Testament goes on to these writers. He's going to continue to flesh out what Jesus just said, because his disciples at this point are like, wow, that's pretty, that's a pretty big statement you're just making there. But what does that mean? What does that look like? And so in 1 Corinthians 15, after Jesus, right, a little bit, here's what the Apostle Paul would say. So that's 51 and 52. Um, he says, listen, I'm telling you a mystery, right, because that's what we're kind of dealing with here is a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. So there's this idea, again, Jesus coming back for his people, his church. He is going to come back. He is going to make things right. It's just promises that the New Testament just keeps carrying forward. And one, one of my favorite ones out of 1 Thessalonians 4, we share this a lot at funerals, actually. This is the Apostle Paul talking about this. And he says this in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Right, this trumpet, the idea, get ready, is what the trumpet was for. And the dead in Christ will rise first. He goes on to say a couple more things in verse 17, but verse 18, what are we supposed to do with this kind of information? Encourage one another with these words. Now, unfortunately, again, here's where religion gone bad goes. God says, look, I want you to know a couple things. I am really all about relationship. I've got all these festivals in place, this rhythm in the Jewish nation's life, so that they understand I'm about relationship with them. I'm about them reflecting my love and my holiness to a world that needs it. Not only that, but I've got a plan that's going to carry all the way out to the end of eternity, right? Whatever that even means. But the end of human history, certainly. I've got a plan, and I want you to know that. But what religion gone bad does is we get in fights over this stuff. 
We want to bicker and like argue over the details of the end. And Paul just says, look, just know that it's going to happen. Like it's been talked about for thousands of years. And verse 18, I want you to encourage each other with these words. Just know that God's got this, even if it seems crazy. He's been talking about it for a long time. And he's been putting all these little clues throughout the entire Bible and throughout human history so that we would say, all right, God, God knows what he's doing. It seems a little crazy, but God has got it. There's a lot of human history, and we're still moving forward, so we should encourage each other with these words. As Jesus claims all this for himself, it's like he's saying, don't worry. I just want to pick up on all these notes, not to bad, use a bad pun, but I want to pick up on all these notes from the Old Testament and say, this is me, and I just want you to know I'm carrying it forward as well. Like God's not forgotten his promises and the things that he's doing. So then the last one is, uh, is why does it matter to you sitting here today? What connection is there for you in your own life? So for a moment, I just want you to try to think personally about this and how you view God. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning where we started, how relational is God for you personally? Like, do you get that God actually wants a relationship with you? That he actually says, I want you to do things in your life that are a remembrance of that. I do actually want you to have rest, like a day that's focused on not working and just focused on spending time with me. Like, that's what the Sabbath is. That's what Shabbat is. It's like, don't do any work. Spend time with your creator, right? Like, that's who God is. That's the nature of the God that we serve. And so do you see that in your own life? Do you see that there is an importance for, for like, this introspection? This, this next one here, I think I put up there. A time of great introspection, right? That there, there is a need for heart searching. There is a need for self-examination. But that is not to be a time of manipulation. It's not trying to get God to forget the things that you've done. It's just this trust that God was expecting from his people in the Old Testament. I want you to live right. I filled the whole calendar year up with all kinds of things just to remind you about relationship. And they turned it into just let's, okay, this is a time we need to manipulate God. We need to get on his good side. <clears throat> and that's the, self, that's the thing we can do if we're not regularly seeing the importance of this kind of stuff. Because... Hopefully something that you'll see by the end of this. I know this can be, some of this stuff can be confusing and it can seem like a lot. Uh, and then we're going to be hitting different scriptures each week that can make it seem a, a lot as well. But to know that all these things, like most things with God, they're pointing to something else, right? And these laws and these festivals and these fasts, he's pointing to a greater meaning. And Jesus shows up and he talks a lot about these feasts because this is the world that Jesus lived in. And so he's trying to get his people to understand he is, in fact, their Messiah. So if you're sitting here today and you've put your trust and faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, uh, that's something that means something. That's something that is a part of a very, very big and long story where God is saying, I've, ha I've got a plan. I've had a plan. And I'm going to carry my plan to fruition. Like, I want you to see that in these things. And these kind of ideas here are important. And then again, the next slide, the, just the connecting with God, this rest, this remembrance, this gratitude. That's what this festival was supposed to be about. And there's a heaviness a part of this, too, because there is a day. Yom Kippur was one day of judgment, one day of like becoming right with God. And we'll do that next Sunday. But there very much is a book of life that's talked about in Revelation 20. And the seriousness, the heaviness of it is that there is an eternal hell. Like, that's a scary thought. But... A lot of people will say, well, that's not fair. Why would God do that? Why all this and that? But for thousands and thousands of years, God has been trying to let people know that there is, in fact, a book of life. 
and that there is, in fact, a way to know that your name is in the book of life, and it's Jesus Christ. It is the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, as Mitch will say when he's here over and over and over again. So there is a way, and it has been talked about for a long time, and it's been woven beautifully into 66 books written over thousands of years that have been and like lasted now for thousands of years of God just continuing to say, I have a plan. I've got a Savior. His name's Jesus, and he fulfills everything that I talked about because everything I talked about in the Old Testament was talking about him and what he would do. So there's a heaviness there. There's a reality there about getting right with God. And as a believer, I want to leave you with this last thought on this particular uh, holiday here, this Feast of Trumpets is that we should live life like you're ready for that final trumpet blast when you will meet Jesus. This is a lifestyle of following Jesus so that when I get there, I'll get to hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Why do you get to hear that? Because you've been living in relationship with God, not manipulating him, right? And the trumpet blast is going to come. That moment of reckoning for everybody, Christian or not, is going to come. And as Jesus would say all the time in his ministry, are you ready for when it comes for you? Like that's a big deal. So Tim, can you come on up and pray us out of here? So this here, again, first day, I realize it's a lot. We're going to piecemeal these things as we go, but it's going to lead us up to that Seder. So if you've not signed up for that Seder yet, we definitely want you to be a part of that because you're going to see a lot of this. Uh, Mitch does a great job of bringing all this to bear when he does that Passover meal with us. Plus, it's going to be good. Be bomb. Good eats. Come on. It's going to be good eats. All right. All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Um, you had a plan for us from the beginning. You always wanted to save your people. And so you've been doing that throughout that whole thread of history. And we look back at uh, the feasts and we see that you're in them, that you have a plan to save us through them. You sent your son to die and that he will eventually get to be that final trumpet blast. That was part of the plan. And so now when we hear those sounds, uh, we got to hear the trumpets. And when we hear that sound that, that's coming, that's something we're looking forward to and anticipating. Because we know you, because we trust you, and because you're changing us, we get to live more like you. I pray that as we're connecting ourselves back in history, getting a little bit more real with what was the plan back then, what was it like back then, uh, we get to continue to see you more and more clearly. So be with us this week as we're going to go out uh, let us live like that final trumpet blast is coming, and we're ready to be able to meet you face to face. So we pray this all in your name, Father. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.